Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm 58 years old, it turns out. I look at my life and I say, how did I get here? What am I about? What, what makes me tick? What's shaping my life? And that's what I want to ask you. What has shaped your life? And what's shaping it now? Is it the opportunities that you've had? Or haven't had? Has it been teachers? Mentors? Is it your natural abilities? These are the usual factors brought up when thinking about how we've been shaped and are being shaped. But please notice this. You could have had the most exciting, most important opportunity set before you. But if you didn't commit to it, nothing would happen. Nothing. You would not be shaped by it, though it was set in front of you. And you could have sat in the class of the greatest teacher or been provided with the greatest mentor. But if you didn't commit to doing what they taught, your life would be unaffected. You would have whiled away some time in an interesting lecture, but no more than that. Unless you committed to putting into practice what you learned, then you would be shaped. And you could be gifted with amazing natural abilities, but if you never committed to develop them and apply them, nothing. My dad, who headed up the electrical engineering departments of some big consulting firms, he used to comment to us kids, uh, we used to get that in the, the engineering speeches at the dinner table. He used to comment to us kids that the world, presumably the engineering world, he said was littered with genius bums. Tremendous brains, tremendous natural abilities, no commitment. See, your life is actually shaped by your commitments. That's crucial thought for tonight. How does a person become great? How do they get a great life? They commit to a cause bigger than themselves. They live for it. Now, actually, to have greatness, you not only have to have a cause bigger than yourself, but that cause must itself, it has to be bigger and it has to be great. For example, I, I want to use the example of Michael Corleone. Yes, him, the character from the Godfather movies. Preaching would be a lot better if everybody watched that movie once a month. Okay, <laughs> so think about Michael Corleone. He, he starts, maybe he's, he's a kid, he's a college kid, and the, the movie starts. He's on the outside, he's on the periphery, he's not much. And then, as the movie goes along, he, he commits. He commits to his family and his family's purposes. Interesting movie question would be, when in the movie, in your opinion, would you say that that happened? Uh, when does Michael commit to his family? Well, whenever it was, the problem... The problem is that at the center of the Corleone family is evil. They're a crime family. Their core purposes are evil. And it totally shapes Michael. Remember, he's kind of a nice college kid. Think about the end of Godfather 2. We become whatever we're committed to. So we need a cause bigger than ourselves, and it, and it needs to be a great and a good cause. And, and to be shaped by it, we need to commit to it. I'm imagining here now being at a buffet lunch. Buffet lunch. Say you're at a buffet lunch. It could even be in our parish hall. Do you want the best buffet experience? Two things you have to do. 
figure out from all those dishes on the table which is the best one, and then not walk past, but go to that dish and put that one on your plate. Another way of saying it is, you need to identify the great food, and then you need to commit to it. But here's what happens. You grab a plate, you start down the buffet line. Oh, there's a bowl of Caesar salad. You've seen more exciting salads before, but this is a buffet. What are you going to do? You get some salad, you put it on your plate. Okay. Next up is a pan of chicken parm. Sure, why not? It's good. It's warm. And then it's a, 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 a thing of baked ziti. You put a scoop of that on. Fine, fine. And now what? Well, now you're going to eat. You know, you're not going to write a letter to your mom about what you just put on your plate. You're not going to write a blog about it. Why? Because it's not great. It's fine. It is what it is. And you're, you're used to it. You've been to buffets before. And then something happens. What? There's something on the buffet you've never seen at a buffet before. What is it? Steak au poivre. Steak au poivre? French-style steak in a peppercorn sauce. That's how it is. Now, I love French food, so this illustration speaks to me, but you can substitute your own idea of what the most delicious possible meal is. So there it is, steak au poivre, and beside it is a delightful little basket of frites. That's French fries, French style, okay? And they taste so good in that peppercorn sauce, and there's also, what, a pan of string green beans, hot, not mushy, it's perfect. This, this is a meal to blog about. However, you're not going to enjoy it unless you commit to it. Problem is, your plate is already heaped up with salad, chicken, and ziti. What do you do? Now, this is a bit radical, and I would never do this for sausage and peppers or for cabbage rolls or for just about anything else I can think of, but for steak au poivre, actually steak frites with just the right sauce and the sides, for this radical action is appropriate. I look around and I tip my plate in the garbage. <laughs> then I refill it with steak, the frites, the beans, and the delicious peppercorn sauce. In short, I've identified the great food and I've made a commitment to it. Amen. I'm going home. No, no, there's more. <laughs> now, in the buffet of life, and you've all been to this buffet, and you're familiar with the usual choices on the table there, in the buffet of life, the options available, they're supposed to satisfy you. And there is a yumminess to them, but the claim is that they're actually going to make you happy. Okay, well, what are these things? Well, here we are. Here's a pan here of success. You know, it's, uh, it's always put out there. People say that success is really going to satisfy you. So it's put out there. And beside that is a dish called pleasure. Very popular. Next on the table is approval, like having all kinds of approval from other people. And then comes control. Hmm, how much control can I have? All right, so th those are the usual offerings, and you're hungry, so you dollop one or more of those on your plate. Success, pleasure, approval, and control. A normal visit to the buffet of life. And then you see something else. What? What is that? It's Jesus. 
Yeah. Did you not hear earlier? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And there he is. Jesus said, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. So I'm here to tell you why you should tip everything else off your plate and eat him. Let me explain why. Because the only way you're actually going to be fulfilled in your life is if your life becomes significant. Insignificance can never be satisfying to any human being. You are made for significance. You, more than success, much more than that. You are made for more than pleasure, much more than that, or even approval or control. Those things do not give significance, even if you eat a barrel of them. Significance comes by filling your plate with, by committing to something greater than yourself. What you're looking for, what you're hungry for, is Jesus, the bread of life. All the other choices, though perhaps tasty for a moment, will fail to satisfy. And they will always fail to satisfy. Why? Because here's the great challenge when it comes to significance. The great challenge to significance is death. That's the huge obstacle. What can you have? What can anyone have in the years that are allotted to them on earth that death will not nullify? As Shakespeare's Macbeth says, life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. As Woody Allen said in an interview, death is, a st is stupefying in its terror and renders anyone's accomplishments meaningless. This is precisely why all sincere searching for meaning and significance must lead to Jesus. Because uniquely, he rose triumphant over death. No one else, nothing else has got this. It's him alone. Death did not nullify him. He nullified death. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Now, what does that mean, eternal life? He means a life that is not ended by death. It goes on. And he means more than that. He means additionally that right here and now, it means having an eternal quality of life. Life rich with love, with faith, and with hope. Because it is in communion with God. It's touched, connected in communion with God. Now Jesus himself obviously had this life. He said he was this life. A life not coming from earth but from heaven. Ob observe him. Observe him. Let's test his claims by observing him. His touch gave extraordinary physical healing. He did it again and again. Even raising the dead. And he announced and he imparted God's forgiveness, life-giving forgiveness, again and again, freeing people, bringing them back to life inside. What he gave was hope and love without limit to everyone he encountered. And I don't mean hope and light, you know, like a softly glowing little candle by a Hallmark card, a softly glowing little platonic idea. No, no, Jesus embodied, he enfleshed, he enfleshed hope and love. He lived, he died, he rose in a body. In a literal, powerful sense, his flesh and blood are hope and love for the world. 
He is the life. Come from God for the human race. In today's reading, he explained, I am the bread of life. Other places he says, I am the life, the way, the truth, the life. Here he said, I am the bread of life. Meaning what? Meaning that what he has, what he is, can be transferred to you and me. Right? Bread, you know, it sits in a basket there on the table, but it can go into you. How? If you eat it. When you eat bread, when you digest it, the nutrients from the grain there and the energy locked in those carbohydrates, when you eat it, they're released and they enter into your system. Okay? It's all imparted to you and it energizes you. Does this describe your relationship with Jesus? It could. It definitely could. In our reading from John chapter 6, Jesus was explaining, he's explaining that I can come into you. I, I can be digested by your spirit, by your mind, your emotions, by your will. I can be taken into you like bread. And when that happens, I impart to you life, my life, eternal life. It's everlastingness, it's energy, and it's supreme loving quality. Jesus' words, his actual words that we heard in our reading were, I am the bread of life, and a few verses on, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. As you, hungry at heart, shuffle along the buffet of life with your plate, or you can pile on it, you know, success salad, or control casserole, or pleasure pilaf, or approval artichoke hearts. I, I asked Jim earlier, I need an A word for food. You can put all that on it. Any of them are tasty for a moment, but all leave you empty of significance. And by the way, another option, leaving your plate empty with nothing on it, that will obviously have the same result as you hover around the buffet, not committing to anything. But God's word is telling us that right in the middle of all those options is Jesus, the bread of life. To him, you should commit. Remember, remember what it is that shapes your life? You remember? It's your commitments that shape your life. A small life will result from being committed to small things. A great life from being committed to great things. And there's nothing greater than Jesus. There really isn't. When you eat him, when you commit to and consume him, you will ingest his presence, his love, and his cause. His cause. I need to say more about that. What is his cause? It's the greatest. His cause is nothing less than to redeem the broken world. To redeem the broken world. And he's risen from the dead actively pursuing this and getting it done. And he says, you get to join me. How? Eat. I am the bread of life. Take me into you. Let's hear more about his cause. There are two super important things that Jesus said about it in the Bible. One of them is called the Great Commission and the other is called the Great Commandment. In the, the song we just sang before the sermon was about the Great Commission. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Baptize and teach. Make disciples, he said. In the great commandment, Jesus says, this is his commandment, he says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Just as I've loved you, you are to love one another. The great commission, the great commandment. In our mission statement here at St. James Lutheran, we kind of smush those two together and say, we are to join with Jesus in changing lives with the love of God to the glory of God. There's more than one way to say it. But if you really eat Jesus, that's the cause he's going to energize you for. Let me say more. As Christ goes on pursuing his cause of redeeming the broken world, there's basically three kinds of things, three purposes, if you will, that he does. Mercy, witness, and life together. It's by these three that Christ works and redeems the broken world. Mercy. Jesus showed practical, tangible love to people in need. And he goes on doing that today. Witness. He taught the truth about God's holiness, love, and forgiveness. Receiving that forgiveness sets people free and opens them up to incredible hope and life together. God never designed life to be solitary, to be lonely, or to be separated. It's about loving family. It's about reconciled relationships. It's about supportive teams. Life together with God and each other. Mercy, witness, life together. These are the things the risen Christ pursues in order to change lives with the love of God. Imagine what a difference, or rather, imagine what a different movie it would be if Michael Corleone had used his, he had leadership, he had courage. Imagine if he'd used those things to pursue mercy, witness, and life together. It would have been a hospital that he built, not a casino. Fredo would have been forgiven and restored, not shot out on Lake Tahoe. Kay would have had her baby. And his dad, Vito, would have heard as he lay recovering from that ambush that God loves him, that Christ died and rose for him. And Vito would have come to faith and have been set free from sin and condemnation. He would have had new life after his heart attack, eternal life in heaven, rather than the hell reserved for mobsters. Our life is shaped by our commitments and how differently shaped the Corleone family could have been, how differently their world, increasingly healed instead of increasingly shattered, could have been. I know they're a fictional family, but, you know, there's just so much we see reflected in that story that's real. What's on your plate? What's actually on it, you say, oh, what's on my plate? I'm, I'm not sure. But anyway, I'm not, an, I'm not a mobster. I'm not committed to crime. All right. But what is on your plate? Super important question. Because you're being shaped right now by your commitments. What are they? They could be Jesus. Your commitment could be to join with him. Personally, in a communion, and, and then pursuing his purposes with him. Your life 
could have true significance, eternal significance, by doing mercy, witness, and life together through faith in Him, changing lives with the love of God to the glory of God. Jesus is the life. He's the life. I trust you see that. The opportunity is not only to see that, but to eat that, to, to, to dump the ziti, whatever that is for you, and eat the bread of life. In Romans 6, verse 13, Paul said, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. Do you have trouble doing that? Pulling the trigger on commitment? And my advice is this. To look at Jesus. The more you look at him, the more, the easier that commitment is going to become. Just keep looking at him. Look at him, how he committed himself for you, for you personally. He came to earth from heaven. And he did so, not in spirit. He didn't come from earth to heaven in some airy, fairy way, but in flesh and blood. The flesh and blood world could see him, touch him, hear him, and we can know him. He's totally committed to you knowing him. And more than that, he's committed to loving you. Not merely with words and high ideas, but again with his flesh and blood. He literally gave these up. He laid them down. He suffered and died for you. And that's even more than it first appears. Because Jesus once said, no greater love has a man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Well, Jesus' commitment to love goes even beyond that because he laid down his life for his enemies. And you know what? Because of our sins, such were you and I. Yes, enemies. Sin is hostility toward God. It's what his enemies do. And you and I have sinned against God repeatedly. And so, to bring us together, to make peace between us and God, Christ paid for sinners. He paid our debts to God with his own blood and his own flesh nailed to the cross. He paid in full. He has fully reconciled us to God and we have life with him now. What's his purpose? To change your life with his love. A past forgiven, a present life of significance, a future in heaven. Has God demonstrated enough love for you to put your faith in him? To have a daring faith in him? To him, won't you make a daring commitment? It will shape your life for greatness. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus for life everlasting. Amen.